How are you doing, EBC? You good today? We're so glad that you are here with us this morning on this Thanksgiving holiday. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Everybody have a good one? Are you still full? Is anybody still sleepy? All right, you still struggling a little bit? All right, hang on with me for a few minutes this morning. I missed you last week. I'm so glad to be back with you. I've got an opportunity to spend some time with my family, and, uh, but I always miss being with you. And so I'm excited that you are here with us today as we, uh, as we just talk about, and I can't think of a better thing to talk about, as we talk about Jesus today. Is it all right if we talk about Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus for a few moments this morning. And I want to start off with a question for you today. It's not a trick question, but I really want you just to feel free to raise your hands up. Do we have any sinners in the house? Raise your hand, raise them up. Okay, you people are honest, okay? I was wondering if I was going to have to say I'm starting a series next week on lying, okay? But I'm not. You guys raised your hands. And uh, anybody with a past, you've got a past. I'm not going to ask you to tell us about it, all right? But you've got some stuff. Anybody got some stuff in your past? Maybe a little, maybe a little baggage that you bring in, you know, to where we're at today in your life. You've brought it into your family a little bit. Some things that maybe you are regretful of. Anybody? Just stuff. Man, I regret that I did that. I hate that I made that bad decision. I hate that sin in my life. Now, here's a bigger question, right? How many of you have experienced the love and the pursuit the grace of Jesus Christ in your life, and he has changed you forever. I like that whistling. That's all right. Someone getting excited this morning. Where he's changed your life, right? He's absolutely changed us. As I was back there singing along with you and just thinking about and reflecting about how he truly loves us, amen? He loves us. He's crazy about us. And that just blesses my heart so much Whenever you understand where you've come from, right, when you really get what you've come out of and what God has done in your life, it just, there's nothing that transforms our lives more than when we come to the place of finally uh, this realization of how much Jesus absolutely loves us in spite of our sin, in spite of what we've come out of, in spite of the stuff that we have in our lives, that he loves us. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me today to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7 for a few minutes, and we're going to look at this incredible story of, of two kinds of sinners. We're going to look at this story of a sinner, uh, who, this woman who was known as the sinful woman. Wouldn't you like for that story about you to be known like that, right? That's how she's known, the sinful woman. But I want to tell you that there was another kind of sinner that was present. Now, they all were sinners except for Jesus. But there, was a, there were two kinds of sinners that were in that specific house we're going to be looking at this morning. There was another kind of sinner. There was a sinful religious leader who was there. The problem was he didn't realize he was a sinner. He didn't realize that in his life. So look with me in Luke 7, and let me give you some context. This whole story is going to take place in the home of a guy named Simon. Now, this wasn't Simon Peter. There's several Simons in the Bible. This wasn't Simon Peter. This wasn't Simon the Tanner that we would read about in the book of Acts. Uh, this wasn't Simon the leper, uh, who was a guy who was sick that Jesus healed. That wasn't this Simon. This wasn't even Simon uh, who used to be on American Idol, okay? It wasn't him either. This was Simon the Pharisee. And a Pharisee, that word literally, literally means separate. 
It means separated, okay? And he was one of the religious leaders of this, of this group of people, the Hebrew people. And, and in this specific context, he was, he was actually a part of the group that was responsible, along with the other Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were responsible for seeing to it that Jesus was crucified by the Romans. And so he played a part in this with many of these other religious leaders. He was, he was uh, one that, that, that stood in opposition of Jesus. This guy was a Pharisee, okay? And now Simon, at this particular point, had invited Jesus to come into his home. He invited him to come into his home and have a meal with him. And, and I, we don't know exactly what he was doing there. He could have been trying to really find out who Jesus was. He could have been trying to trap Jesus because there was already opposition that was coming against Jesus and the kind of ministry that he was living out. And, uh, but he invited Jesus to, be, uh, to have a meal with him in his house. And, and, and this just prior to the passage that we're going to read today, Jesus was already being greatly condemned by the religious leaders. He was already being criticized. And this is what he was being critical, uh, they were being critical of him for. They, they were calling him a friend of God. Sinners. How many sinners do we have here today? Yeah, most of you, I think, all of you raised your hands. Aren't you thankful that that is a name of Jesus, a friend of sinners? That he's a friend to those who are sinners. They were saying, what is up with you? You hang out with drunkards. You hang out with those kind of people. You hang out with gluttons. Some of us came out of some gluttony this week, I'm thinking, right, okay? And uh, you, you, you're hanging out with, with people with a reputation, people who, who, who have problems, tax collectors who were despised by that group of people. And, and now we know that the Scripture says this about Jesus. Now, we're going to look in Luke 7, but a few other places, this is how Jesus would be described, okay? In chapter 5, just a couple of chapters over. Jesus answered them at another point where he was being criticized. He answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. What does it say, church? Sick people do. Healthy people don't need the doctor. Sick people, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are, say it with me, what? Sinners, and they need to repent. Right? So he loves us enough to say we need repentance in our lives. In another passage, in Luke 19.10, it says this. It describes him for us. That the Son of Man came to seek, and so he's pursuing us, those who are sinners, and to save those who are, say it with me, what? Lost. Those of us who are sinners. And I want us to understand something today, that Jesus came for people who are broken, he came for people who are messed up, without a doubt, as we'll read about and we'll see in the life of this one particular woman. But I also want you to understand this, that he came to seek and to save even another kind of person who was lost in their sinfulness. This may be hard for some of us to get today, but do you realize this, that Jesus even loved the Pharisees. He even loved those who were so blinded to their own sin that they were even plotting his death, but Jesus still loved them. He loved them too. And it's evidenced by the fact that he would even go into the home, sit with them in the home, have dialogue with them. He had conversations with Nicodemus. He, he loved all sinners is what I'm trying to say, okay? And so if you're taking some notes, this is a good thing to write down. Every person from every background needs Jesus. Can I get an amen, right? We all need Jesus. All of us are broken. 
Some of us, maybe we don't realize how broken we are, though. And, 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 and this is what we're going to discover. So Simon, although he was a part of this group that opposed Jesus, he invited Jesus into his home. He invited him to come into his home. Now, as, as we read the story, it's important for us to know that a good host, especially in this culture, would do at least three things, okay? When you would invite someone into your home, there were some cultural things that would happen just as a, a kind of a courtesy, a basic hospitality. For example, if you came over to our house, okay, now this is a different culture here, but we would welcome you at the door. We wouldn't just kind of sit back and just say, you know, okay, we'd welcome you. We'd come and greet you. We would, we would try to keep our dogs off of you. I don't know if that would happen, but we would try. We would probably give you a hug or a handshake. We'd, we'd want to make you feel welcome, right? We'd probably offer to take your coat if you had one. And then, and then I might even offer you, I might even offer you one of my secret drinks, okay? Now, it's not that kind of secret drink that some of you are thinking about. It's a Coke Zero, okay? And the reason they're secret and the reason that I hide them is because we have children. Does anybody else hide stuff, all right, that you don't want your kids to get because you don't even get it if they know that you have it, all right? I might even offer you something to drink there. And, it, and, it, and if, I, if I really liked you, I might, even let you I, I might even let you dip into my secret, secret stash, and that is my IBC cream sodas, okay? And that's only for very special people, all right? Now, if I, if I didn't care much for you, you'd probably get a Shasta. That's probably what some of you would get. Not anybody in this service. That's only in the next service, okay? All right? You might get a... Don't, by the way, don't let Pastor Randy know that I have IBC cream soda. He sometimes gets Shastas. All right? I'm just saying. All right? And uh, so don't let him know. But, but you'd get standard hospitality is what you would get. You would be welcomed. We would welcome you in. E even, even if we weren't very close, we would show you some standard hospitality. Now, in this culture, Simon the Pharisee... He knew what was the right thing to do, and as a good host, this is what they would do. If a person came into their home, they would greet them with a kiss. They'd kind of put their, their hands on your shoulders there, and they'd greet, greet you with a kiss on the, on the cheek. And it's a way of just, it's called a kiss of peace. It's a way of making you feel welcome. The second thing is that they would give you some water to be sure that your feet that were filthy from walking on the roads, that they would be clean. You'd, it'd been hot and dusty, and you'd get cool water. Or if, if you were wealthy enough to have a servant, a servant would do that for you and they would wash your feet and this was standard hospitality and the third thing that they would do is they would take a little bit of olive oil and this was just kind of a basic thing and they would just kind of put that a little bit on your head it was just kind of a, a welcoming just a sense of making you feel welcome in their home welcome to my home my home is your home you we kind of say it like that and it's a way of just making that person feel like we are glad that you are here and that's what basic standard hospitality would look like for a good host there. So take that knowledge going into this story, and I want to show you what happens. And I want you to try to imagine being in the home of, of Simon the Pharisee. Go into that home with me for just a few moments. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it says this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home, and he sat down to eat. Now, a better way this translates, and what it literally means is he reclined at the table with them. Right? Some of you are like, man, that sounds pretty sweet. I could have a recliner at my table, right? Okay? But here's what it was literally. They would have this oblong-type table. It would be very low to the ground, and, and many of them would have, like, 
kind of a divan or like a chase lounger that would go around, or they would, if they didn't have that, they would have pillows. And so you would lay down kind of at the table on, on your forearm to kind of your left forearm to keep you up, and you would eat with your right hand. Here is the point your feet would be as far away, because you would be barefoot, would be as far away from the table as possible. And I'm all about that because how many of you would agree that feet are gross, okay? And, and so your feet would be far away from the table. And, and all of these people would be seated or, or, or kind of lounging around the table. And so that's what it means when it says that they are reclining there. Now, this wouldn't have been just a quick meal. This wouldn't have been just kind of a, just eat really quick and be done. It would have been more like a feast. It would have had several courses, kind of like your, your Thanksgiving experience where you were probably eating kind of all day and experiencing family and friends all day long. It was in the home of this Pharisee, so you should know that ritualistic uh, what they would call rich, religious, ritualistic, ceremonial purity was incredibly important. It also would have been an event for men only. In fact, probably the only time that a woman would have even come into that room, and I'm, just, I'm not saying that this is how it should be. I'm just saying this is the way it was. Okay, culturally, they were there to serve. Okay, so you're hearing me, ladies. I didn't say that's how it should be. All right, because what we're going to see is that I want you to see how Jesus treats women is incredibly different than the way many of these men would treat women. And so there would be a lot of eating. There would be a lot of conversation. They'd probably be drinking wine and enjoying a good time together. And chances are this men's only several course meal was going great until she crashed the party. This woman that we're going to read about. That woman, she crashed the party. She showed up. She wasn't invited. She certainly wasn't welcome, as you'll see. Now, here's what we're going to read in verse 37. When a certain immoral, immoral woman, a sinner, from that city heard that Jesus was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She brought this jar, okay? We'll talk about that in a second. Now, what do we know about the sinful woman? What do we know about this lady? First of all, most scholars would, would say this about her. She certainly had a history. And I asked you earlier, how many of you have a history? And just about every hand went up. We all have stuff. We all have sin. We all have things that we're not happy about that we've done in our lives. She had a history. This woman was, she had a sordid past, she was known most likely as being a prostitute, if we can just be very blunt. Many scholars think that she was, she was in that profession. She had a reputation. She came from a dysfunctional, broken, jacked-up life. She'd been with many men for wrong reasons. She was the kind of person that the religious elite would classify as a certain kind of sinner. They had... They had these different classes of sinners, and so she was known as this sinner. She was certainly looked down upon. You wouldn't talk to her. You certainly wouldn't touch her. You wouldn't want your kids around her. You wouldn't want to become, and this was their way of thinking, spiritually contaminated by, by touching someone like that or being around someone like that. 
So she comes in, this sinner, she wouldn't be allowed there. She wasn't invited there. She wouldn't, she wouldn't be welcomed in most homes and certainly not in the home of a religious leader. That just didn't happen. So she crashed their party. She came anyway because Jesus was there. She, she carried with her what Luke calls an alabaster jar. It was more like a large vial that many women would, would have uh, hung around their neck. Okay, and it would be almost like a necklace and there would be this vial that, exp- that, that had some kind of fragrance in it, some kind of perfumed oil, a fragrant oil, and this was an expensive kind. Now, because of her social status, she was very poor. Because of her status, she was poor. Probably through her earnings in her profession, she was able to purchase this and possess this highly expensive, now this it's, it's important that we understand this alabaster meant this. It was expensive. It was, it was this exported perfumed oil that, and here's the point, it was likely the most valuable thing she owned. It was the most expensive thing in her life. So what do we know? She had a history. What else do we see in her life? She was absolutely drawn to Jesus. She was so drawn to him. We don't know all of the history there. Maybe she'd heard him teach at some time prior to that, which I do believe the text indicates that. Maybe she'd seen him perform some miracles. She couldn't believe maybe what she saw happen. Uh, But the scripture would indicate that they had some kind of encounter with one another where Jesus had impacted her life. And she was drawn to him. She wanted to be near him. She wanted to come around when she heard that he was there. This woman had lived a very dark kind of life, a life with all kinds of sin, all kinds of brokenness. So you need to know this about her. She was filled with very little hope. She was filled with a lot of shame, not much to live for until she met Jesus until she had an encounter with Jesus and she was overwhelmed by his compassion. Pastor Randy talked about compassion last week. She was overwhelmed by his compassion. She was overwhelmed by his grace, the same kind of grace that made some of you whistle a few moments ago when you were excited about what he's done in your life. And I want you to think though with me, going into this room with these men who were these religious leaders, who many of them did not realize how sinful they really were, I want you to think about how she must have felt going in there. How intimidating that must have been. To go in knowing that people were going to be cutting their glances at you and whispering about you and saying things about you, being in the presence of these these holy men, so to speak, and just think of the courage that it took her to go ahead and come anyway, even though in her mind she knew she probably would not be welcome. I can, I can imagine how she must have uh, came in and when they were whispering, what's she doing here? How did she get in? What is, what is happening, Simon? How, 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 what? You know, and they're just kind of looking at each other and they don't know what to say. It's a very awkward, very awkward moment. I want you to think about the shame Think about the shame that she had in her life because of some of the things that she had done. Think about the embarrassment. And then she walks in, and I imagine it grew very uncomfortable at that moment because of her presence. And the Pharisees didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. By the way, you know there are a lot of people that feel that way. We always have to remember this, church. There are a lot of people that feel that way when they come to church. 
There are a lot of people that feel like I don't belong. There are a lot of people that battle with shame because of things that they have done in their life. And they, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had a person say it, that I've invited, if I were to come, the walls would cave in on us. Because they feel that way about themselves. And for some of them, it's shame for various reasons. It could be sin that they've had in their life. For some of them, it could be that they're addicted to something and they're struggling with that. And they, they beat themselves up over and over again. It could be addiction issues. But, but, but some of you, you went ahead and you came anyway. You went ahead and you, you pressed through just like this woman did to be in the presence of Jesus you know something? There's something about Jesus that draws you to him, right? It draws you to him when you understand who he really is, and I'm so grateful that you've come. But here's what you also need to know. There are other people that feel shame, and it has nothing to do with sin. There are other people that it's hard for them to come into a place like this because they're battling with all kinds of different issues, and it's not even sinful issues. There are conditions that maybe they're struggling with. There are some who are battling with mental health problems, and you're going to hear us start to talk about this more and more because our pastors, we have been burdened by this, that this is epidemic in our society. Do you realize this, that there are people who are battling immensely with depression and they feel shame because they're battling with depression? There are some of you who feel overwhelmed and paralyzed by anxiety and you don't understand why and you're battling with shame because of that and, and you struggle with that. There are all kinds of various forms of mental health issues that people battle with. Do you realize this, that one in five adults in America will battle some form of mental health issue, not just in their lifetime, in the next year, in the next year. So what that means is that at least one person in many families will be battling with something like that. Will be battling with some kind of mental health problem, some kind of struggle with, with all, and there's all kinds of things. We'll be defining it more for you so that you understand that. And many of them feel hopeless. Many of them feel like they don't belong. Many of them feel that way, and it's not just the battle of depression or the battle of this they're, that they're really struggling with. There's a stigma that is attached to it, and they feel ashamed. And so many people stay away. They feel hopeless. And I know Pastor Randy mentioned some of this last week, and you're going to be hearing us talk more and more about it because in the next year, we feel led to launch a ministry that we're simply calling Hope. And it's for those who feel hopeless in this particular area of their life. And it's going to be our goal to be a church that steps into the difficult place of hopelessness that people feel, of families who are battling with mental health issues. Uh, and I believe, I truly believe this, this is going to be one of the biggest things that our church has ever done, church. I truly believe this because there is a huge void in our community. Many, and I'm not, I'm not calling out other churches in our community. I'm just saying the American church in general, we have not done a very good job of addressing this issue and talking about this issue. Amen, right? And we need to start talking about it. We need to start coming along people who feel hopeless. 
We have on our elder team people who are battling with that in their own family, and it's something that has burdened us. And so you're going to be hearing more about that. We're going to be launching support groups next spring, and if you're interested in being one of the leaders for that, we're going to start training very soon for that, and Bruce and Debbie Barrick are going to be outside at a table right outside the doors there. And if you're just interested in finding out more about this Hope Ministry, you can sign up for that. I'm really excited about what God is going to do. But back to our story She must have felt great shame. The men are reclined at the table. She crashes the party. Verse 38 says this. Then she knelt behind Jesus. She was at his feet, okay, because his head was more towards the table. She knelt behind him at his feet. And what does it say? She was weeping. She was broken. These were deep sobs. This wasn't just a few tears streaming down the side. Martin Luther, whenever he describes this, he calls it heart water. She was moved with deep emotion. Uh, The word that is used is literally, it's like tears were raining down. It was like rain. There was so much. She was moved with this extreme gratitude because of what Jesus had done in her life. These tears were cleansing for her soul. It was an act of repentance. And so here she is. Again, go with me to the room. She's bawling her eyes out at the feet of Jesus because of who he is and what he's done and meant to her in in her life. Her makeup was probably smeared. She probably had snot on her face. I'm just calling it like it was, right? It was just, it was a humiliating kind of thing that was going on. She's humbled. She's devastated. She's broken. Maybe she was shedding a tear for every sin she had committed. Who knows? point is, is there were copious amounts of tears that were flooding out of this woman's eyes. She was so just broken. The story gets even more scandalous because you need to know this was a scandal. This was a scandal that was happening, but it gets even more so. Her tears fell on his feet. She began to wipe them off with her hair. Now, in this culture, this is important you understand this because this is why it gets even, appears to be even more scandalous. In this culture, a woman's hair was always up in public. It was never down. That was only for uh, a person who was married and when a woman would let her hair down in the home there for her husband. This would have been equivalent in this culture with her letting her hair down in public like this. It would have been equivalent to a woman going topless in public, Okay. Some rabbis taught this, that it was even grounds for divorce. That's what they would say. They took this very seriously. But when she was looking down at Jesus' feet, she noticed something. His feet were still filthy. What's going on here? Why were his feet still dirty? Says this, she kept... She noticed the feet, and rather than being greeted with a welcome, rather than being greeted with the basic hospitality, he was greeted with indifference. He was treated in kind of an uncaring way. So she washed his feet with all she had available. She wasn't prepared for that. I don't even think she intended on getting as emotional as she did. She used what she had. She used her hair. She didn't have a towel. They certainly weren't going to offer her one to do this. 
They were whispering back and, back and forth, most likely. This looked, this looked horrible in their culture. She wasn't breaking any commandments, you should know, just religious rules. Just man-made religious rules. And then it says this. She kept kissing his feet, and then she took the vial, and she began to pour the perfume out upon his feet. This was an expression of affection. This was an expression of submission to somebody. It was respect. It was showing love. It wasn't erotic. You need to know that. That's not how it was intended. It was passionate gratitude. That's what it was. It's I'm thankful for how you've changed my life. Now this is what she did, but I want you to specifically notice what Jesus did not do. I want you to see that he, that he, that he didn't push her away, that he didn't say, please stop this, you're embarrassing me. Lady, I'm busy right now. Can't you see I'm talking with the important people? He didn't say anything like that. He just... He just allowed this to go on. Uh, he didn't push her away. And I also noticed this. He didn't preach a sermon to her. He didn't say, well, listen, you wouldn't be in this kind of spot if you hadn't lived this kind of life, missy. There was nothing like that. And at this moment, as she is looking at Jesus, he must have just given her that look. I want to ask you this. Have you ever gotten that look from Jesus? Now, I know not a physical manifestation, but that look where he, he looks upon us with his love. He looks upon us with acceptance. He looks upon us in spite of our sin with this unconditional, accepting, godly kind of love. And when this woman saw Jesus, she fell to her knees. She couldn't help herself. She was erupting now with this emotion at his feet. Something clicked in her mind, and you know what it was? How sinful she really was. You see, when we realize how holy Jesus really is, and yet he still loves us, See, here's the deal. I've, I've heard another person say this. It's true of her and as well as of us, that the closer we get to Jesus, the more aware we are of the depths of our sin and what he saved us out of. We're aware of the depths of his grace. There is nothing that will change your life more than grace, than understanding the grace in your life. And at this moment, she exploded with worship. She exploded with praise. She couldn't contain herself. Her tears were flowing like a waterfall from her eyes. And they were probably tears of joy, but I bet they also were tears of pain because of all that she had been through in her life. She'd lived so much in so much sin apart from Jesus. She had been looking for love and acceptance from men through so many encounters with men, men who had used her all of her life. But Jesus treated her differently, ladies. Jesus treated her with respect. Jesus looked at her differently. See, women were not treated very nicely in this age. Jesus looked at her not with lust, but he looked at her with a godly kind of love. Probably no man had ever looked at her in that manner like that before. He treated her not as a piece of property, but he made her feel as if she were a valuable treasure, that she mattered. 
and he poured his grace out upon her. And as a result, her life literally would never be the same. You should know that because of the language of the text, it is indicative that she had had an encounter with Jesus at some point prior to this and had placed her faith in him as the Messiah and that she had experienced forgiveness. You say, how do you know? I'll come to it in a second. That she had experienced forgiveness of her sin earlier and now she is unashamedly in his presence. Now she's pursuing him. Now she wants to just be close, as close as she can be to him and worship him. She had believed she was willing to undergo any kind of public scrutiny. She wasn't about political correctness at this point. She just wanted to show gratitude. She just wanted to express her love for him. She wasn't concerned about what other people thought when she was worshiping. Think about that. She wasn't concerned with that. As she washed his feet scandalously with her hair. She wasn't worried about what other people thought. And then she did something that was absolutely amazing. As she cleaned his feet, as she kissed his feet, she took her most valuable, most prized possession and she poured it out on his feet. As an act of love, she was generous. This is what is called an extravagant sacrificial gift. She poured it out on his feet in gratitude. Now, verse 39 says this. So are you there with me? You there with me in the room? Are you hanging on? Tryptophan's not kicking in, I hope. When the Pharisees, and the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. Now, say it with me out loud because it just sounds better. What did, what did, he said to himself. He didn't say it out loud, did he? He said it to himself. This man were a prophet. How dare he? If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman. Boy, that just sounds nasty there, doesn't it? Hateful. He would know what kind of woman is touching him. Now say it with me out loud. What does he say? She's a... How many sinners do we have here today? Yeah. She's a sinner. Can't you feel the disgust? He didn't say it out loud. He just had this look. He just was saying it to himself. He was just thinking this. And he's thinking in his mind, she's the worst kind of sinner. That was his thought. But what I would suggest to you today is that Jesus would say, no. The worst kind of sinner is the one who doesn't realize he's a sinner. The one who is self-righteous. The one who doesn't recognize that he needs a savior. So in one fell swoop, Simon cast judgment on the sinful woman. He also cast judgment upon the son of God himself. He deems both of them unholy and ungodly. If they were just as holy as me and my posse here, you know, because of our religious outward activity, if he really was who he says that he is, then he wouldn't let a woman like this touch him and doesn't that kind of happen in, in churches all the time? You know, just a quick story. I remember working at a church as a student minister where this was an ongoing battle for me where I was dealing with, I was really trying to go after uh, students, kids that did not know Christ as their Savior. And I was trying to go after them and love them right where they were at. And this group that I was reaching out, you need to know they didn't look like churchy people. Thank God, okay? They didn't look like that. And, and the kids we were reaching 
came in and they didn't know how to dress. Many of their parents didn't go to church anywhere. They didn't know any of these kinds of things. But the church that I was at at that specific moment was was a suit-wearing, tie-wearing. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that that was the kind of church that it was. But you could, you could distinguish that who the kids were that, that didn't really know and who the ones were that kind of knew this is kind of how you're supposed to dress, this is what you're supposed to act like, this is what you're supposed to say. But many of these kids, they didn't know. Some of the girls were dressing certainly not very modestly. Some of them had strange-looking haircuts. They didn't look like us in that particular church. Uh, but our group was reaching out to them, and we were reaching a lot of them. And a lot of them were coming like crazy, and here's what happened. It started making people in the church uncomfortable. People started getting a little uncomfortable about this, and it it, it was as if there was this expectation that they were supposed to already know how they were supposed to dress and look and act and, and all of this, that they should behave a certain way before they ever believed. And that's sometimes what we do in churches is is we kind of get it in reverse. We think that people should know how to behave, but what we'll find in the Scripture is that people will come to belief, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, behavior follows, right? But we would reverse that sometimes. So I would get called into the pastor's office on a regular basis, and he'd be like, look, people are complaining about this. And I'm like, seriously? People are complaining that we're reaching the lost? Are you kidding me? I didn't make it very long in that church. You should know, okay? It wasn't long after that. But needless to say, God would forge some things in my heart from that experience. And I still love that church and I still love those people. But God would do some things in my heart to plant a church for people with a past. Amen? To plant a church for people who are broken. To plant a church for people who have battled with shame. The dress code would be, please do. Okay, that's what we say. (laughs) Put something on, cover up the essentials, and come. Just come hear about Jesus. That's what we want to happen. Amen, right? Come hear about Jesus. But isn't it easy to become the religious type that says that if they don't look like us or our church isn't for that kind of person or whatever... Church, may we realize that the church exists for that kind of person. Amen, right? In fact, we're that kind of person. You and I, we both are. We all are sinners. And so maybe for you, it's not sexual sin for you. Maybe for you, it's, it's materialism. Maybe it's envy. Maybe there's greed there, or maybe there's pride, or maybe you have rebellion in your heart, or major anger problems, or lying, or you have a problem with your mouth, or gluttony, or drug abuse, whatever. But Jesus, by his grace, wants to change our lives for his glory. So this Pharisee says to himself, if he only knew what kind of woman this was. And watch what he does next, because I love when Jesus messes with the Pharisees' minds. Y'all love that? If he knew he'd only, he'd be a prophet. So what does it say next? I love when Jesus does this. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. I love it when he does that. Let me show you who the prophet is. More than the prophet, right? Simon, he said, said to him, I have something to tell you. Something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. (laughs) He still was in the dark, right? Simon replied, go ahead. 
Then Jesus told him this story. Is, this is what he would do, is he would tell a story to drive home this point. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one, that was a lot of money, and 50 pieces to the other. But here's what I want you to see. But neither of them could repay him. You see, that's a point for all of us today. If you don't have maybe the past that others have, the point is still this. You're a sinner and you can't repay your sin. We're all in the same boat. We all need a savior. So he says, neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both. What does it say? Canceling their debts. Now, let me just ask you this. If someone just, maybe you borrowed a hundred bucks from somebody and they, they said, hey, don't worry about paying me back. You'd be kind of happy about that, right? Okay. How many of you, if your mortgage company called and said, you know, you were having trouble paying it, and they called and said, you know what, just forget it. Just we'll cancel the debt. How excited would you be, all right? Could you just, yes, I'd be pretty fired up, okay? So think of it in those terms, all right? You'd be excited, wouldn't you? He says this, who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, and this is how religious people do this. Well, I suppose. No, he knew, but he was too prideful to say really directly, I'm wrong. Well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Here's what Jesus is saying. Greater gratitude is the result of great forgiveness. When you get it, and this woman got it. When Jesus continued with his object lesson, remember when the, as the Pharisees were there, do you remember what a good host would do? Water for washing, a kiss of blessing, some oil, and he's gonna take it up a notch and he's gonna point out what happened. He said, that's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. You won't even look at her as a person is what he's saying. But I want you to look at her and I want you to learn something from her. She has something to teach you. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't even wash my feet, the standard thing. You didn't greet me with a kiss, the standard thing, right? But from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil. That was the cheap stuff, right? To anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. All the things that you should have done as a basic courtesy, what he's saying, you didn't do because your heart is cold. And your heart is indifferent. But she did them because she was grateful. She realizes her sin. I tell you, her sins, now look at what he says, and they are many. She was a sinner, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little shows only little love, only little gratitude. There's so many contrasts between these two. She saw her own sin. He saw her sin. She was responsive in grateful worship. 
he was apathetic. And I want you to begin to think about yourself a little bit here, okay? She was generous and gave greatly to him. He didn't even give the basics. He didn't want to give anything. She realized her need for a savior. He was smug in his religion. She was overwhelmed by his presence. He was comfortable and apathetic and unmoved. Folks, the sinful woman got it. The self-righteous, legalistic Pharisee missed it. And the, the, the question is this for us today is, which one am I more like? And that's just a penetrating question. It's a question that we should ask ourselves. Who am I more like? Am I grateful? Am I, am I a passionate worshiper? Am I generous? Or am I unmoved in the presence of Jesus? As you contemplate that, as you begin to think about that, I want to invite Pastor Danny to come out, and he's going to get his guitar ready here. And I want to invite you to just go to a place of prayer with me for a moment. So can we just bow our heads? And as he comes out, I want you to think about this story. And I want you to think about your story with Jesus. Just begin to, to really think about this. Am I a grateful person? What is your response like to Christ? Have you grown indifferent to his love to where it's just you're not moved by it? Or is your heart just filled with gratitude? Maybe today is just a day you say, Lord, I realize maybe I've taken your love for granted, your grace for granted. Are you, another question, are you generous? And that's a good, that's a good test for our hearts. There's going to be so many opportunities going into this next month to be a generous person. Many of you have expressed that regularly. You express that here in our church in so many different ways to give. And when we cast that out there before you, you step up to the plate. Are you generous like she was? What is, what's your worship like? Think about that. Even as you came in today, what's your worship like? Are you, are you passionate in worship or do you, do you go through the motions? Are, are you full of passion and gratitude as not just as you sing, because we know that worship is so much more than just singing, but are you grateful as the way that you go through life in the manner in which you live? When is the last time you worshiped or had a worship experience like that because you were in the presence of Jesus? Or you were broken before him and you reflected upon the powerful sacrifice and his grace, where it didn't matter where you were at or who was around you in your presence. You weren't worried about what other people thought, but you just let your worship of God begin to flow. Who are you more like? What a beautiful story, right? It's for us today. In this season of Thanksgiving, I know it was a couple of days ago, but we should live with gratitude every single day when we recognize His grace. I want you to listen to the words of this song as you contemplate just kind of where you're at in that specific area. Listen to this. It's an old song, but a powerful one.
then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are, what does it say, church? Forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, it's important that you understand this, that you don't think that she was forgiven because she loved much. That's not what this means. She loved much because she had already been forgiven. Amen, right? So here's the point. The point is this. Her gratitude was in response to her forgiveness. And the reason we know this is that the verb tense that is used in the original language shows that the forgiveness had already happened and now it was continuing. It literally translates this way. Your sins have been forgiven and you still stand forgiven today. So literally what this means for you and for me is that in our sinfulness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is transferred to our account. And when we've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, you stay forgiven in his presence, right? You're not the identity of your past any longer. You're a child of God. Amen? Right? That's what that literally means. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Here's the point of the story. I'll tell you who he is. He's the son of God. That's the point. Who is this man? He didn't say, God will forgive you of your sins. What did he say? forgiven. I'm speaking on behalf of God because he was God. Which means he's the Messiah. Which means if you've never placed your faith. Now look at what he says. And Jesus said to the woman, and I want you to hear this, your faith has saved you. Not your good works. Not because you poured this oil out upon me. Not because of you know, anything you've done religiously, no, your faith in me has saved you. And now here's what you can do. And here's what you can do today. If you are in this relationship with God, now he says, Shalom, go in peace. You can live in peace, peace with God. You have peace with God now. What was it that saved her? Her faith. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Sinners that need a Savior. And I hope from today's lesson that if you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that today you would realize how much He loves you. Today you would say, Jesus, would you be my Savior? Can we just pray? If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you might just say something like this to Him Jesus, I have a past, but I see that you love me in spite of my past. I believe that you are who you say you are. I place my faith in you, Jesus. My trust is in you. I can't save myself. I need a Savior. And so today I receive your grace by faith in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Oh, Lord, because you've saved us, we want to respond with gratitude. Sing this back to the Lord.